traveling through another dimension. Another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. But of mind. A journey into a wondrous land, land whose boundaries are that of imagination. That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, the Twilight Zone. Tonight on the Twilight Zone podcast, I hand over the microphone to you, the audience, once again to give your thoughts on the third episode of the show, Replay. But also a couple of people catch up on maybe some thoughts they haven't put in about the previous episodes too, and that's fine. I got an email off a friend of the show, Jeff, which I thought was quite fun. He said, Concerning Nightmare at 30,000 feet, the debate on whether or not Joe is real or a figment of Justin's imagination, I've been hung up on the Joe with a knee line, thinking it has to have some significance. Why Joe with a knee? What is Joe without a knee? Just J-O. Then it hit me. J is the tenth letter of the alphabet, and O is the fifteenth. Put them together, and you have 1015. Joe with a knee equals 1015, but with an E at the end. Coincidence? Perhaps. So I just thought that was kind of fun, because one of the things that is enjoyable about this new series is looking for these little things that are threaded throughout. So it wouldn't surprise me if you were right on this one, Jeff. Thanks for writing in. So I'm going to begin the feedback on replay now and stay tuned to the end of the episode where I'll tell you what the deadlines are for the next listener contribution show. Now it's over to you. Hey Tom and listeners, Zach Moore here again, wanted to share my thoughts on Replay. This was an excellent episode of The Twilight Zone. It's The Twilight Zone for the 21st century, and it's exactly what I was looking for and exactly what we needed from this show. It is tackling real issues, social issues, human condition issues in the sci-fi fantasy genre. And, you know, the talking about the, the sci-fi element here, right, the, the camera, uh, a most unusual camera to borrow a title from the original Twilight Zone series. Uh, time loops, time travel, right? If you're into science fiction, if you like the Twilight Zone, if you like this kind of stuff, you probably like time travel. I, mean, I love Back to the Future, Groundhog Day. I mean, those are some of my favorite movies of all time, and I, I truly think they're excellent movies. And there's just something about that playground, the playing with time travel, and, and the Twilight Zone has done it before uh, to varying successes over the years. But to use it in this way, it's, it's, it's instant you recognize it as a Twilight Zone thing because it's this, this mystical, ordinary object that's become extraordinary and does extraordinary things. And the, the time loop factor is it's very interesting because even like in the in the scene in the hotel when Dorian's talking about how everything has to unfold a certain way because that's how the universe works. It's kind of like the fate and and talking about how you can't escape it. And that's why they, you know they keep trying to escape this cop, right? And and no matter what they do, where they go, how they behave. Like Nina says to, to her brother later, it's like, it doesn't matter how nice or how mean we are to him, he always finds us, you know? And, and that's kind of like the inescapability of fate. But at the same time, you remove that, and th- that that's the that's the case right now, you know, in, in our society, in our culture, right? There, there is systemic racism, right? Racism's still here, people. And 
no matter where you go, where you are, you're going to find it. That is the time loop in the real world, right? You take the camera out of it. Uh, that's that's the loop, you know, and, and you need to break that cycle. And that's what they, you know, do at the climax of this episode. So it, it, it works on so many levels. It's so clever. Uh, because, you know, to this cop, right, he's only seen him once, but he always finds a way, you know, to get him. And, and uh, Officer Linsky, I believe his name is, he is just his quiet controlled like robotic niceness but then you it, you can tell it's just a facade right it's it's played so great because that's that's how it is you know i mean the people who who are you know racist right they're not always you know shouting about from the rooftops you know racial slurs right they can be you know they know how to present themselves you know in a quote-unquote acceptable way to use the letter of the law to get what they want and even you know even just one of the first lines that he says uh, when uh, they say that Dorian's going to you know college and they're taking him to college, he's like, "Oh, is it the black school?" And right there, you're like, "Oh, I know what's going on here." And just th- that's played so great. You know, all the performances here are excellent. I really buy the relationship between Nina and Dorian. Great acting there by both of them. That the whole mother uh, son bond completely buy. You know, they 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 laugh, they cry together. Like they just you go on the journey with them, and and you feel you, you believe. This is a family unit, you know, and you know, I you know, honestly, I was thinking, you know, to jump ahead to the end, like I was thinking, oh, I know where this is going, right? Because he gets the taser in one of the first encounters. And then, of course, he pulls the gun. Now, that's the middle of the episode and Dorian is killed. And I thought that I thought that was going to be the end. I thought it was going to be one of these really dark Twilight Zones where, you know, he gets shot, but then she drops the camera and it breaks and she can't go back and change it. Maybe like an, an abuse of fate because they set you up. Like I love how like you see the lottery, and you're like, oh, is she gonna win the lottery? No, she doesn't need that. What's more important to her is her son. So she uses guessing the lottery numbers not to win the lottery for her own well-being, not to misuse the Twilight Zone element, right? Uh, but to 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 have him guarantee that she's gonna that he's gonna come visit her as often as he can, even though he's in college, you know. So so that that was a great kind of misdirection there, and and yeah, I, I definitely thought that was gonna be a climax because you saw in all the trailers the the camera get broken. And that's not what happens, though, right? I mean, that's the middle of the episode. Now, I did find the first half of the episode just more engaging because of the, the time loop aspect. They kind of get away from that near the second half when they bring in her brother. And, and you know, even at the end, like, Dorian's like, hey, rewind it, Mom. She's like, no, we're going to make our stand now, you know, and the cameras and the guns. And it speaks so much to what's going on in uh, the world and, you know, in America today, honestly, more than, more than other countries. So... Uh, it, you know, and that's not to say that all cops are racist or all white cops are looking out to get black people and those kinds of things, right? People, I'm sure people are going to take this the wrong way, but this starts the conversation, you know? And this, these are some truths that are going on. And to frame it in this way, I don't feel like it was ham-fisted or too preachy at all. I'm sure some people will think so. I'm sure there'll be others that think it wasn't uh, on, the, on the nose enough. But I, I found that it was a great blend of getting the message across, and then telling an entertaining, engaging story with these sci-fi elements, right? With these fantastical elements. And, uh, but, but then the end, the end in the code. So you, you get, you get like this kind of happy ending and you're like, oh, okay, interesting. Uh, but then you have the coda, right? You have the epilogue and it's the future and there's a little shades of Nick of Time, right? Because she's, you know, she's always recording all the time. And Dorian's like, mom, come on. She's like, you know why I do this. So she's kind of been trapped by this mystical item, right? So speaking of Nick of Time, love the little, uh, the mystic seer in the diner there. Just a little, uh, just a little hint of it, you know, the kind of universe building of the Twilight Zone. I love that, that, that just Easter egg for the fans there. So, you know, the, the, the granddaughter, 
uh, takes the camera, drops it by accident, right? As kids do. Uh, and then like, hey, look, mom. She's like scrambling all around. He's like, look, it's fine. He goes out the door. We get the narration from Jordan Peele. It wasn't magic. It was love that saved her son. You're like, oh, okay. It's going to be happening. And then we get the turn. We see the, we see the cop lights. We see her expression. We hear... The siren as the episode ends, and and uh, Jordan Peele he basically says something along the lines of you know exists even outside the Twilight Zone, which makes this kind of like a modern. If I had to compare it to uh, one of the original episodes, it'd probably be He's Alive, uh, which you know talking about how you know this evil exists even outside the Twilight Zone. It's not confined here, unfortunately. So something along those lines, and Jordan Peele not appearing on camera uh, as well. So I thought that was interesting that, that they're, they're going to play with that format because I think him appearing would have kind of thrown off the impact of the end, right? So I, I like how they're not like, okay, we have to do it this way in every episode with his hosting. So uh, with his uh, hosting on camera. So there you go. Those are my thoughts. Uh, I, I, this is my favorite episode so far. Uh, they keep getting better. So I am just there three for three so far. Uh, completely on board. Love this episode. And uh, I'm interested to, to see what conversation comes from it. I've had an email from a friend of the show, Chris. Now, he'd previously written to me, not in the form of feedback, to say that he wasn't too keen on the first episode of The New Twilight Zone. But this time he writes to me with, I found something I like in The Twilight Zone's new iteration, and it's the third episode, Replay, which single-handedly has salvaged my appreciation for the show. The story was superior in its characters, plot, and timeliness, its examination of the deadly discrimination and policing of black youth, the emotional effects of that social injustice on parents, and the gutting of entire generations was spot on. Not a single false note in conception, dialogue or acting. The magic of the camcorder was given a spiritual dimension that honoured African-American ancestral roots. And what about the Virginia trooper Lasky? I saw something strange in him, that seemed as if it was driving him onward, like a Terminator with a license to use lethal force. And I think the mother identified it perfectly. He's afraid. The only antidote to racist police violence is Sunlight's capture of events into electronic records, and the subsequent viewing of these records by a public sufficiently outraged to make corrections to the law and those who enforce it. I am immensely impressed with the episode's respect for the African-American experience, which was infused throughout. The deep iconography of the Underground Railroad, which was neither literally underground nor an actual railroad, was evoked in the family's passage through a tunnel. That Nina struggled so hard to get her son to college captures the traditional African-American emphasis on education as a means to a better life and by then I was holding back happy tears. So much to praise here, too little time. Well done, Jordan. Now you're in the zone. And that was from Chris. Thank you, Chris. Hello, Tom. Harold Clark reporting in from Buda, Texas, talking about replay. So first off, uh, I loved the cops... Uh, performance. Lasky had just the right amount of menace. Uh, in the apple pie scene, the cop seemed to be a mostly nice guy, 
barring the knowing someone like you comment, um, until uh, she mentions his wife, and that seemed to trigger something in him. I thought that the twist would be that we would learn that a black person had perhaps killed the cop's wife, thus creating the hate in the cop to then hate black people. But then the second twist would be, oh, well, you know, that black person actually, you know, was hated on by a white person and made them to kill his wife. And But then you go back and the white person had a black person be mean to them. And, you know, you just keep going backwards in time, backwards in time uh, to just show this continuous chain of hate that's just destined to continue. Um, that kind of ties into the the hotel scene. Um where they're uh, watching the lottery and, um, you know, about the foolishness of random numbers. And the son says, since the Big Bang set everything in motion, everything that happens in this universe has to be that way, the way it is. Uh, well, it's true. Uh, it's just all particles unfolding uh, the way they're destined to. And the mom says, that's pretty depressing. The son says, I think it's kind of cool. Uh, things happen the way they should. So, so if you take that uh, with the uh, the ending dialogue, uh, the the outro uh, dialogue that uh, Jordan Peele says, he says at the end he says, "Love, not magic, uh, that kept evil at bay. But for some evils, there are no magical permanent solutions, even in the Twilight Zone." So that seems to imply that you know. If there's evil in the world, that it just sprang out from the Big Bang, and it's just that's the way things are supposed to be. Almost as if we're we're just destined to hate on everybody. Um, and I thought it was interesting that it, they said that love, not magic, was what kept evil at bay. I mean, I guess that's true to a point. You know, you have the love of the of the mom for the son and and her family, but. I actually think that more specifically, it's the idea of family that kept evil at bay. I mean, family could be, yes, uh, immediate family, uh, could be extended family. But if you take that a step further, family could be the neighborhood where you live. It could be the college that you go to. Uh, When we're talking about battling evil, I think the only way we have a chance to even put a dent in it is when we consider our city as family, our state as family, our country as family. And finally, if we ever get to a point where we consider the world to be our family, you know, at least at least we have a fighting chance against evil. But until then, you know, it's just going to uh, to continue on. And, you know, we got to, I guess, just try and do the best we can. But, you know, we got to team up. That's really what saved him at the end was, you know, you had everybody at the college teaming up to, to, to support each other. Uh, one last thing, um, the, maybe the most intriguing thing about this whole episode was literally one second of the episode. If you go to, uh, time marker 36 minutes and 40 seconds, they just finally make it to the college and, it's showing the crowd, and for a split second, the dead center in the camera is a, is a man in a jacket and a suit facing away from the camera, and in his left hand, with his elbow bent, is a cigarette. Now, you know, 
just because they're at a black college doesn't mean that there can't be any white people there. I'm not saying that. But I thought it was really strange that they would focus on this person facing away from from everybody else. And I thought, hmm, I wonder if they're setting up that this, ooh, Rod Serling-esque type person is actually in every episode. So now I'm going to have to go back and see if we can see, and maybe that's the person who's tying everything in. And, and yeah, it is a shared world with the 1015 and the Lasky combos and all this stuff. But more importantly, maybe in episode 10, we find out that that there's, that there's, there is a, uh, a physical entity that's tying these things together. So anyway, good episode. Um, uh, probably the best of, of them so far. And again, I'm looking forward to next week's episode of The Traveler. So I'll talk at you then. I've had an email from J.K. Wynn and he says, To preface this analysis, I'd like to say that I greatly respect the role that police officers play in the community. There are a lot of good police officers making a positive impact in communities across the U.S. With that respect also comes an understanding of the history of law enforcement in the U.S. and its troubled relationship with the communities of colour that has largely been driven by local and federal legislation designed to enforce racial segregation. With that preface, I saw several themes in this episode that stuck out to me. Parallel 1, a system of unequal treatment. Black Americans can never get away from their history, one rooted in slavery that transformed into a state-sponsored apartheid system that guaranteed their status as second-class citizens. For Nina and her son Dorian, the strength of this system remained intact despite their education and socio-economic status. The system needed to remind them that their second-class treatment could come at the most inconvenient and happiest of days, and that this treatment could not be avoided, even with a time machine. Parallel 2. Officers of the System The beginnings of law enforcement in the US have a strong connection to slave catchers, who were in charge of upholding the system of slavery by catching runaways that were pursuing freedom and prosperity in the northern states where slavery was abolished. Many slaves used the Underground Railroad, a system of friendly houses that would hide runaways to evade slave catchers and to get to the north. In this episode, Uncle Neil has an underground tunnel that leads them to the college which is representative of higher education being a path to prosperity. Parallel 3, exposing the system. The officer was stopped when there were too many people watching the abuses he was attempting to commit. It seems as if the system operates much better if it's done out of the public eye. I think the use of camera phones is also very intentional because they have been a crucial tool in exposing the system's injustices that occur in the daily lives of people of colour. Prior to the technology, the claims of people victimised by the system were largely dismissed. Regards, J.K. Wynn. Thanks for writing in. Hey Tom, it's Travis. Please forgive any background noise you might hear. I got dudes on the roof reshingling the place. I wanted to drop off some feedback real quick, hopefully real quick, about the episode replay. 
that I just watched. I didn't bother to send in feedback previously. I know enough people were going to do that in my stead. Probably the same thing will happen for this episode. This episode was the most Serling-esque episode the, the show has done. I mean, it's only been three episodes, but I don't think anyone would disagree with that. By some measures, maybe being the most Serling-esque makes it the best episode. I'm not entirely sure I would say that. What I really mean by Serling-esque is it's got that Serling corniness. Uh, it's got a message, and man, it'll bend space and time to get its message across. I'm not just talking about uh, the the camcorder that lets you replay things. I'm talking about we got we got my man Goron from Barry or uh, Reggie Ledoux from True Detective. Man, we got him. Uh, we got him teleporting all around, following this poor family, uh, and we and it's all got this message of you know. Prejudice is bad, and that's nothing. You know, no one would disagree with that. So it's a fine episode, but it's very corny. The dialogue's corny. The the Great Escape-esque sequence of like, come on, I know where the secret tunnels are at. Follow me. You know, them going through all these secret tunnels to get to school, and then they get to school, and everyone happens to be there, and the whole brigade's a cop shows up, and it turns into, you know, an episode of Growing Pains or something where it's like, you just got to stand up to the bullies and they'll stand down. Everyone pulls out their cell phones. I'm Spartacus. It kind of felt like that, you know, with everyone kind of kind of coming up. Uh, do, that, do I make any sense? Maybe not. Anyway, uh, I mean, the episode's good. Uh, I don't know. The, the thing I'm feeling about this series is the original series was very corny, but, you know, it, it is baked in that you know nostalgia for 1950s 60s americana which i know that you're a fan of and this this new series doesn't have that americana or that that nostalgia factor right it's more grounded in reality or it feels that way since we're living in it this present now so i just don't know how effective this kind of corniness what kind of service this corniness is doing to the to this our stories for today certainly when you're dealing with kind of such intense and serious issues like this episode tackled uh i mean in the context the, the context of 1960s you know perhaps i didn't live back there but you know perhaps the twilight zone saying these really at the time controversial things on the on the medium of television where you know someone's watching i love lucy or leave it to beaver or whatever and then they can tune over and see I am the night color me black and they and they and they've got this really serious message about hate and prejudice and racism. You know, nowadays, you know, if you look at like like you look at this episode and you compare it to something like Ryan Coogler who got name dropped in this episode like his his first big breakout film was Fruitvale Station. That was this harrowing story of 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 fear and racism and the, the tragedy. And you compare that story to like this corny ass story and you're just like oh what the what was this story trying to what is this for my grandkids what are you trying to say here i don't know anyway if i had to give one major criticism i think this is honestly the biggest problem with the episode it's you know i feel kind of like a jackass saying it but it's really it's a glaring problem that i think everybody everybody was going to think about it but nobody is going to say it because it's not like it's not politically correct, 
you know, to say, but I'll be real, dude. I'm just going to be real. The biggest problem with this episode is there's not one person in this episode who says, suck my vagina. Good friend of the show, Edwin, wrote, and he said, Greetings, Tom. This is Edwin out of New York. First off, I'd like to say thank you for actively encouraging us listeners to get involved in the podcast. It gives a real personal feel that I'm sure is widely appreciated. I'd like to get into my thoughts on this week's episode, Replay. I feel based off the reactions from the comedian, this one is going to ruffle some feathers. The debate of race relations, profiling and over-policing is a hot one currently, with the high number of unarmed black males who have lost their lives at the hands of the law in recent years. The series reboot is taking no prisoners. They have shown they are willing to handle controversial topics. However, I find this week's episode to be enlightening, not so much for the attention given to racism amongst authoritative figures, but more because of the call for reflection that it offers. It tells the story of Nina Harrison, a woman who succeeded in raising a seemingly upstanding young man who is about to enter college. She is understandably proud and excited at what their future holds, although admittedly she's a bit concerned at the prospect of him going off and forgetting about her, and the sound reasoning for this which I won't address directly. She's an independent woman who doesn't look back. She picked herself up out of a situation that she felt was encroaching on her happiness and ability to grow, and has made the decision to never look back. She managed this pretty well until she found herself in a situation that left her with very little choice but to turn to her past for help. I feel this is a classic tale of never forgetting where you came from, I enjoyed this episode and found it personally touching as I, like Nina, know the struggles of growing up in an impoverished neighbourhood surrounded by violence. It's very easy to grow resentment towards it and even easier for that resentment to spill over onto your loved ones. I think her brother's role is also very important as he is acting as the neighbourhood's record keeper, keeping track of everything before it gets washed away by gentrification. I have a feeling that I'll be in the minority in saying this one was my favourite of the reboot thus far. Thanks to all for listening. And that's from Edwin. Thanks for writing in, Edwin. Hello, Tom. This is Grace. I have to say, it's just awesome to have this open forum format to hear and exchange so many different opinions and feelings on the new Twilight Zone content we're getting. It's just awesome. Thanks for doing it. Just briefly, for some thoughts on the episode The Comedian. I like the fact that we got a Devil's Deal story. Getting what your heart desires for an ultimate price. I think those never get old. And they occur several times in the original series with, of late, I think, of Cliffordville and Escape Clause and such. Just like Uncommon NASA, I immediately thought of the Night Gallery episode make me laugh as well. I like that we're in a smoky nightclub with jazz and drinks. It's got a great feel to it, and I kind of want to go there. 
The kind of Shining-esque homage at the end made me smile as well. That was a real nice touch. I think Kumail's character ends up sacrificing himself in the end because he just has this career-driven selfishness by using people he knows and throwing them under a bus for the sake of a joke. His life is now void of what made it so rich to begin with. And it can be seen as a redeeming, selfless final act to sacrifice himself to bring back those he cares about. Overall, I just really enjoyed this episode. With the latest episode replay, firstly, we get Jordan Peele physically in the scene for the intro. I knew you'd like that, Tom. If you noticed, the camcorder was another quality Whipple product. And if you look closely, it has the words 10 à la propriétaire printed on it, which means 10 to an owner. A nice little nod to a most unusual camera from the original series. I personally love this episode. The writing, acting, and direction are all fantastic. The fear and tension felt very visceral and real. With a very slight Twilight Zone twist to the fantastic, and I think it's done to great effect. Sana Lathan and Damson Idris are great. They feel like a real-life mother and son. You see that bond, that closeness there. And Glenn Fletcher as the ever-stalking state trooper is utterly chilling. He really does feel like the Terminator when he shows up at the hotel. It's just so unnerving. I like the fact that the mystical object and the ability to rewind time is used for love, not greed. They play with the idea of how she could have used it for the lottery, but she doesn't. It has a far more important purpose. The messages of this one are very strong about using empowerment, action, and love to expose the truth. The siren lights flashing on her face at the end is very haunting and leaves the future unanswered. I think it's important that we're getting an episode that approaches and tackles such social issues like racism, police brutality, and prejudice. Tackling such important social subjects like this have been in the DNA of the show since the very beginning. Good examples like Dust, which you've seen, and the episode I Am The Night, Color Me Black, where hatred itself manifests into a dark cloud that covers the world. It's sad that the same issues of social injustice and racial prejudice are still prevalent today as they were back then. Let's all hope and work towards a safer tomorrow. Take care, Tom. I've had an email from Jay and he says, where do you start? This episode is classic TZ. They somehow invoked Rod's spirit. The story, well, it made me feel so many emotions. How in the 21st century are we still dealing with racism? I just don't understand why we can't get past it. The story nearly brought tears to my eyes. It felt so real. I truly believe in my heart Rod would approve of this episode. The message and the tone is all classic TZ. Rod Sailing created the Twilight Zone to talk about uncomfortable issues. TZ should make you think and feel uncomfortable. It should make you look at yourself. Replay is 10 out of 10. Cheers, Tom. Jay. Thank you, Jay.
Hi, Tom. It's Dave. And Brandy. Yep, it's your own little miniature Dark Corner podcast with feedback to replay. It's my favorite of the new Twilight Zone show so far. It's a really solid episode and addresses a thing that is still going on in our country. Anyone who says that racism does not exist in this country has never been the victim of racism. And especially unarmed young black men getting shot and killed by police officers. Well, just profiling, which gets addressed at the end as well. This episode made me so tense and so upset. And that's what it's supposed to do. It is supposed to make you feel like these people who, no matter what they do, they cannot get away from this policeman who keeps hunting them down. That's the only word for it. He's hunting them. He's a force of nature. And just like, I think it was Luke said in your episode uh, summary or review, is that he was like the Terminator. Just doesn't stop no matter what you do. And I thought it was a stroke of genius to use the camcorder as the MacGuffin, but it's also the subtext of the episode is that by recording these injustices, you're putting a spotlight on it. Yeah, a spotlight that sometimes still gets ignored. Oh, even Lasky says that. Is Haven't you seen the news? Yeah. That even the recording of these things doesn't prevent the injustices. That there's these officers that are still getting away with what's basically murder. I can't even pick a situation that I've heard about in the last five years where an unarmed black man has been shot and killed for no reason whatsoever that you can say he was threatening them. I don't know how you threaten someone with a gun when you don't have a gun. And having that officer face any appreciable consequences. And there's economic issues too, is that there's these cities that they get a lot of their money through ticketing and through arrests. And they're not going to annoy the white people of the population, so instead they prey on minorities. And so they're pulled over more often, they're arrested more often, they They... face more severe penalties. We were talking about this earlier as the sentencing for crack as opposed to powder cocaine, is that one is more likely used by upper-class white people and therefore has less of a sentence than crack, which would be more street level. There's such inequality still. The worst part of it is that slaves were brought to this country against their their will, will. Mm -hmm. and now you're blaming them for being here? That's basically the definition of racism to me in this country. It's like, oh, well, we brought you here, and now we don't want you, so go away. Something that wasn't addressed in your review was the different way the mother and the son respond to authority and the police. The son is more confrontational, that he's more quick to criticize the officer for overstepping the line as opposed to the mother, which shows kind of a generational improvement, maybe. Yeah. That things are improving a little, but it's still not to the level where it's equal. This is episode just upsets me so much oh yeah and that's what it does it shows the injustices in the world yeah it upsets me because i know that this is happening on a daily basis i must recommend a podcast if this sort of thing interests you it's the yo is this racist podcast has a great improviser on there tawny newsome and they talk about racist things happening in the world in the news and addressing such things as these shootings Yeah, shootings happen that never get reported. Mm -hmm. Because if you turn on any news channel, any local news channel, you'll hear tons of stories about white people. But few black people go missing, 
you'll never hear about it. Uh, yeah, there's this new true crime podcast out there. I think it's called The Murder Squad. They were talking about this serial killer that I think he managed to go through like 30 years or something because he preyed on sex workers and people of color. Mm-hmm. And because they don't get reported and they don't get investigated to the same level of quality, the serial killer just kept going. Wake up, America. Yeah. And do something about this. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, everybody can do their part, but it has to be everybody. And unfortunately, we're not in that place as a nation. And mm. hopefully a show like this will turn the light on what it's like being black in America. Mm-hmm. And that's what the Twilight Zone modernized should do. That's what Rod Serling wanted to do in the first place. But censors prevented him, so he had to go around. He had to do it through subtext rather than text. But now we don't have those limitations. I will say that this was beautifully shot. Oh, yes. Wonderfully acted. Oh, Oh, my word. All three episodes so far have been beautifully shot. Yeah, Glenn Fleshler as Officer Lasky, he just blew me away. He was terrifying. Everybody else, wonderful, and I'm not going to try to pronounce Sinea Lathan. I can't, I don't know if that's how to pronounce her name. I apologize. Mm. She was wonderful. Danson Idris as Dorian, wonderful. Just everybody. And it was, it was a very small cast because it was really about, only about four people total that really influenced the story. The music was also cinematic. It was like, it was seriously really high quality it was on the level of like a Hans Zimmer with the atonal quality to to add tension to scenes it's hard to say I love this episode because it is so difficult but I do love this episode yeah respect it it. I do respect it it was magnificent and also the end you think everything's okay and yet there's that bit of an ending where it's just like oh you see the police lights as he's going out the door to go buy ice cream and then you hear the siren Mm mm-hmm And heaven only knows. And the persistence of Lasky, who knows, it might be him. Because racists never stop. Until you break the cycle and stop having parents teach their children hate. Because nobody's born a racist. Just like this uh, was a son of a deputy that burnt those three black churches down and they're blaming it on his interest in black metal. Rather than the fact that he probably has a racist deputy father. Because it's never actually the parents fault Mm -hmm. yeah we've gone on too long anyway but if you think of this being actually two reviews in one (laughs) yeah (laughs) then we're under the limit fantastic episode sorry about the tangents yep nice reference to nick of time too so indeed yep that's it for us tom doing a great job absolutely bye bye Longtime friend of the show, Adam, writes in and he says, First, I'm sure I can speak on behalf of all of your listeners when I say how much we appreciate your care and time devoted to the new series. It's evident that you care about not only the series itself, but what we think and feel about it. So thank you for keeping the discussion going. My feelings on this episode are complicated. I think the message is extremely important and the episode itself is really well done. I have no complaints about the writing, the direction, or the acting. In fact, I think all of those elements are superb. I think the thing I got hung up on immediately after my first viewing was that it felt too simple. 
One thing that I've loved so far in the three episodes that I've watched is that we can see very strong ties to episodes in the original series. I'm not just talking about the easter eggs which I love, but the stories themselves point strongly to other episodes. The comedian felt like a mix between the dummy and person or persons unknown. Nightmare at 30,000 feet obviously was inspired by Nightmare at 20,000 feet, but I would argue that it was much more closely tied to the episode 22. And this episode, Rewind, reminds me strongly of a mix between Nick of Time and I Am The Night Colour Me Black. It reminds me of Nick of Time, not just because of the Mystic Seer or the Busy Bee Diner. It is the story of someone who allows an object to determine their futures until they finally take the power away from that object. But I want to focus more on its resemblance to I Am The Night. Both discuss racial tension, both have a police officer who is driven more by prejudice than by justice, but more importantly both are best viewed as allegories than as simple stories. The logistics break down pretty easily if you try and view it as a simple story. The characters, especially the villains, come across as very two-dimensional and therefore seem simplistic and stereotypical. That's where I found myself getting hung up. However, as soon as I realised this should be viewed as an allegory, this suddenly went from a seemingly oversimplified episode about racial prejudice to a lens on the fear that this mother felt every time her son walked outside the door or got into his car. The episode surrounds around Dorian being dropped off at college, perhaps the first time that his son would be out of Nina's home. Every iteration of their encounter with Officer Lasky escalates, proving her fears to be more and more founded. Showing kindness to Officer Lasky results in the most devastating outcome of them all, so it isn't until she confronts her fears that they finally dissipate. But we see in the brilliant ending that she can never let her guard, in the form of her video camera, down. I recommend to anyone struggling with understanding this episode to view it through the lens of an allegory. It might not be your favourite episode still, but it drastically affected my view of the episode. I'm excited to replay it myself again soon. And that's from Adam. Thanks for writing in, Adam. Hey, Tom. Matt here from Anthology Pod, uh, anthologypod.com. It's a podcast where I talk about The Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer, and I also cover modern anthology shows like Black Mirror, Dimension 404, and the new Twilight Zone reboot. First of all, I just want to say thank you for putting together this podcast and also for doing uh, listener feedback episodes. I'm I'm so uh, inspired by your work here uh, on on your podcast, and I'm so happy to have a chance to uh, share my voice in this small little segment. So the new show, I'm loving it. Uh, I didn't get a chance to put my thoughts on the first two episodes out, but I really like the direction that the show is going. It is, it's updated, but it's respectful. It has this this reverence for the original series. Like all of the Easter eggs are so just beautifully done, and s- some of them are more subtle than others. But it's it's all seems to, seems to have been put together for. Uh, with care for the original and for Serling, so I'm just loving the style and uh, and the commentary of the of the show as it's starting out. For replay, the new episode, I was blown away by this episode. Um, it takes the normal kind of Twilight Zone convention of oh, including this this device and 
on the surface, it's such a Twilight Zone kind of thing. But what I really appreciated about it was the statements that it made. It's it's kind of a more on the nose thing than what you might expect from the Twilight Zone. But I would argue that we're at a time in society and and our culture. Um, especially here in the U.S., that uh, we kind of need this on-the-nose kind of thing because people just don't seem to listen to one another. Like, I have such a hard time understanding the mentality of people that say, like, oh, they've they've been long-time Twilight Zone fans. They grew up with it. But the second that they have uh, political leanings in the new Twilight Zone episode, they're saying that they're not not going to watch the shows going forward. It's uh, it's just kind of seems like a narrow-minded thing and and just seems like a knee-jerk thing that I just don't I don't get because that's what the Twilight Zone has always been about. Anyway, uh, replay handles this spectacularly well. Um, there are some issues with the last act; it is kind of rushed and everything. But I didn't have necessarily that much of a problem with it. But overall, the way that it demonstrates or the way that it depicts racial tensions, I, I'm more inclined to think of. Officer Lasky is just the embodiment of racist institutions in our society. They, he is the embodiment of the racist institutions that are, um, either intentionally, maliciously, or just, uh, or just conditioned by history to, uh, keep the African American person down and not not let the African American advance in our society. He's the embodiment of that, and I love the way that. The episode depicts that, and it, it every time they rewind the the camcorder, it gets more and more intense and more and more violent, and it's just it's such a it's such an eye opening depiction of what it's like to be an African American in the United States and have this have this feeling of ra- racial tensions and racist entities at every corner and having to fight that your entire life. Like, the characterization of Nina is fantastic. And I love the generational shift bet- among Nina and, uh, and Dorian, how she is someone who has been experiencing this this racist society her entire life. So she has learned to be more supplicant to it. She tells him, like, oh, be respectful. Don't, don't make it, don't get an attitude or anything. Just do what he says. More compliant than, than she should, than anyone should be in those situations. Whereas Dorian is the kind of, uh, his, his generation has come, come of age in a time where the more technology that's been introduced in our society and the more, eyes that have been open to the racist institutions of our society he is one who is who has been who has come of age in a time where it's expected to fight back and to question authority because and not just blindly uh let authority dictate what you do and everything and i love the generational aspect of that how it's how each generation is more progressive and and or makes more headway in this society that the episode is depicting and that's kind of Handled spectacularly well at the end when Trinity, the the daughter of Dorian, she's the she's the next generation and she's the one who acts in the show. She accidentally drops the camcorder and smashes it. And I just love that as a statement that she's that her generation's going to be the one that doesn't have that 
uh, fear uh, associated with it. So it's just it's a very positive and progressive statement, um, while also having that just haunting image at the end with the flashing lights uh, across Nina's face and the in the siren at the end of the narration. Just a really great episode. Absolutely loved it. Was blown away by it. Um, I just released an episode reviewing it, so check my podcast out at anthologypod.com. If, sorry for the um, <laughs> for the shameless plug. But once again, thank you so much, Tom, for putting together this podcast and doing such a fantastic job and have a good one host of the outer limits podcast victor has written in and he says hey tom victor here i just wanted to quickly throw my two cents in about replay let me begin by saying that i love the cinematography of this new series It's got a visual style that sets it apart from the previous incarnations, but still evokes that uneasiness that only the Twilight Zone can deliver. Okay, on to replay. This one hit close to home. As a Hispanic male, I've had my share of questionable traffic stops. One time I had to borrow my dad's car for two days, and I kid you not, both days I got pulled over a block from my house. The second time I was asked to exit the vehicle where they made me remove my shoes and socks while they searched the car. It was a real eye-opening experience that still resonates to this day whenever I see a cop in my rearview mirror. So the fear in Sarna Latham's eyes was definitely relatable and drew me in that much more. When our heroes are making their way to the college through alleys and tunnels, I immediately thought of Harriet Tubman using the Underground Railroad to lead slaves to freedom. This was everything I wanted in a modern Twilight Zone, and I love how the episode ends, because though the battle was won, the war rages on each time you step outside your front door. Tom, great work as always. We're all rooting for you in this year's Rondo Awards. Respectfully, Victor. Thank you, Victor. Hey Tom, I uh, just wanted to give some feedback on Replay. First off, loved hearing Luke back on the podcast. It's always great to hear him, and I hope we can get more of that during the season. Um, I really liked your uh, discussion around the whole episode, and but really the part about the Mystic Seer. I really liked Luke's idea that the inclusion of this Easter egg is a hint that this is the same diner from Nick of Time. I'd also throw in my two cents and say that it's kind of a thematic, uh, serves a thematic purpose as well, because both episodes deal with characters who find mystical objects and become dependent on them and then by the end of the episode have to break free of them in order to move on. Now, uh, I usually like to send in feedback about the message behind an episode, but since Replay really wears it so heavily on its sleeve, uh, I want to do something a little different. Now, I've read a few comments that echo Luke's comments that the last third of the episode, uh, particularly the part where they're sneaking through town, is a little goofy. And I can understand that. Um, it goes from this taut drama to kind of an odd little adventure. And looking back, I wonder if this was a, a small nod to the Green Book. Now, if you don't know what the Green Book is, um, I put together some Twilight Zone podcast-esque research notes and some trivia. I know the tight turnaround you have um, for these episodes kind of robs you of the ability to do this stuff, so I figured I'd try and lend a hand. 
The uh, Green Book was published by Victor Hugo Green from the 1930s into the 60s, and it essentially was a guidebook for people of color that um, kind of let them know which businesses would and would not accept their patronage while they were in unfamiliar parts of the country. It was considered an essential item for any person of color traveling through America at the time and probably saved some lives uh, and certainly kept them out of trouble. Um, it was uh, really uh, this pretty amazing thing. And um, the trivia part of this is that Jordan Peele, uh, in addition to working on a Twilight Zone, is actually a producer on a show called Lovecraft Country that's going to be on HBO. Um, Lovecraft Country is a show based on a novel of the same name by this guy, Matt Ruff. Um, and in that book, uh, one of the main characters uses a fictionalized version of the Green Book uh, before he descends into Lovecraftian horrors. Um, so if you're enjoying Peele's version of Tried Zone, maybe keep an eye out for that show. Last thing, um, I just wanted to comment on something you guys talked about, which was the bluntness of this episode. Now, for a long time, I was a big adherent to the idea that a message needs to be subtle. And certainly sometimes I do still stick to that. But recently I've been questioning this stance. Um, the sci-fi author, Nora K. Jemison, recently tweeted out her feelings. And um, after reading them, it really made me question my views. Basically, she said, for years, the accepted method of storytelling <clears throat> in sci-fi and fantasy and horror too um, is to couch your message in some sort of metaphor or allegory. Um, you know, and the examples are all over the place. It's not a group of um, oppressed people, but an alien race. Or it's not trauma or mental illness, but some sort of supernatural horror. And the list can go on and on. Anybody that's spent time reading these genres knows exactly what I'm talking about. And her point was this. Um, if this was really an effective way to deliver a message, then why does it seem like so many fans are reluctant to engage with this stuff in real life? Why does it seem like so many fans are perfectly comfortable rooting for a marginalized character, but not so much for a marginalized person? You know, I've heard people argue that the distance created by metaphors and allegory can make these kinds of stories more palatable to people who have never experienced stuff like this. But Jeminson argued that maybe that distance just allows people to be comfortable with um, some pretty uncomfortable material so that when they face this stuff in real life, uh, they recoil and get frustrated because, you know, it's, it's no longer comfortable for them. It's, um, it's real. And when things are real, they tend to uh, be harder to handle. Uh, it's just something that uh, I think I have to keep in mind going forward for the rest of the show because I think it's not going to shy away from this kind of storytelling. But um, I'll be there the whole time and uh, hopefully sending us off every week. Catch you next time, Tom. Hey, what's up, Tom? This is Uncommon NASA. Man, I just watched Replay, and uh, I literally just watched Replay. Um, so this is now a complete hot take. I guess this entire episode of, of people talking is mostly a hot take, and even your episodes are hot takes. It's, it's interesting to talk about a show with a base of episodes that are 60 years old, 55 and 60 years old, and then 
be able to experience it um, fresh like this. It's it's so different than what Twilight Zone fans are used to. Um, there's not decades of analyzation to kind of go back and forth about. And uh, I think that's going to be an interesting challenge for the series um, in terms of criticism versus praise for it. But that being said, wow, what a heavy episode. Um, I, I guess the main thing that I wanted to put down is, um, while obviously I'm not African-American, I have toured with and um, been on the road um, with people of color many times. Um, I also live in a neighborhood where there was uh, an extreme case of police brutality that ended in um, the murder of, a, of an African-American uh, by a police officer. So, you know, this the, I empathize with this episode. That's what I would say. I, I can't identify with it because I'm not African-American, but I, but I can definitely empathize with it. And I think the main thing to take from this episode is the paranoia and the inevitability um, that the characters feel, and I think most people of color in the United States feel toward the the police and toward interactions with the police. These sorts of interactions may or may not happen. I know most of my friends um, that are African American can point to these things happening personally. You know, driving and and I've driven on roads just like the one that they've been pulled over. Um, I've I've eaten in diners just like the one that they're eating in. I've come in contact with officers on the road, and it, even for me, it's, it's a very scary experience. Um, and, I, and I think that sort of fear, and I think the most important thing is that paranoid inevitability. That's what the tape represented. That's what the replay represented, is trying to ward off what feels like inevitable collision between a person of color a young black man and the police and a mother's want to try to make that not happen. You know, how many mothers have, have cried, you know, on television, you know, just like the woman in this show did. And, you know, that representation of the videotape and the old video camera as being the only power that was left kind of amazing an incredible piece of writing uh to put that in there um i think it's it's hard for me to say whether it's the best episode so far um there were a couple of you know i don't want to be like rah rah so there were a couple of things i think one criticism that'll inevitably come is that the the officer was so one-dimensional um i think he was one-dimensional as a device for this episode uh creatively because it just it, it's the thing that's interesting to know about writing and that that i realized recently watching films is that a lot of times filmmakers will write from the perspective of the main characters so it doesn't matter whether he's one-dimensional or not he was one-dimensional to them in 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 their world that was what he was and that's sort of like the message you're, I think you're supposed to take from it. I think the, the only critique I would have is sort of like the scene on the lawn uh, of the college to get a little after school, especially. Um, it was a little heavy handed, um, but I also don't know how else you end this. So I thought that was fine. Um, and maybe on a second watching, it won't stand out as much. I just was so 
like enamored with the loop and with like the things that I pointed out so far that that was sort of like it all had to end eventually and it was a little jarring but it is possible that was just from a first watch I think the Twilight Zone is and always has been something that's supposed to make you think and something that's supposed to challenge your beliefs um, even a person such as myself you know I was thinking about the episode before I started recording and and one thing that I, I thought at first was sort of like a flaw was like their their leap to sort of rope gentrification in with police brutality and harassment. And then I thought about it and I was like, well, I would rope those things in if I was an African-American facing those things at the same time. And so even, you know, even being myself, I, I, I was forced to sort of question my beliefs and my first reaction to something. And that's really interesting. And um, that's what the Twilight Zone is supposed to do. It just is. Um, I think, you know, Tom, you had written me during the week about some of the, the backlash that some of the, episodes, the first two episodes had gotten uh, from people that maybe don't understand what the Twilight Zone is about or don't understand what Rod Serling represented. And my main point is it's really not worth having the conversation, is this what the Twilight Zone's supposed to be doing? Are these the things the Twilight Zone should be introducing? Of course they are. There is no question whatsoever. There's no reason to doubt it. Rod Serling proved this 60 years ago. This is a closed debate. These are the sorts of things that Rod Serling would be writing about had he been alive. These are the things that writers associated with him working on a show today would be writing about if they were alive um, or if he were alive working with them. So I, I don't know. I, I think if you doubt that, I, I don't want to, you know, be disrespectful or, or push any buttons, but I, I think you need to sit back and think about how controversial the shelter was in 1960 and how controversial I am the night was in 1961. You know, these are basically pre March on Washington episodes, you know, and those are just two random examples. The show is supposed to be raw. It's supposed to poke at your beliefs. It's easy to be protected by history when you watch those old Twilight Zone episodes and understand the moral messages in them, it's a lot harder to be challenged on current times and take the moral messages out of the episode that you're watching right now. So there we go. That's our listener episode looking at replay. And I think I've learned some things. There's a bit of American history there that I wasn't aware of, which is great. So what I will say is... I am pleased and not surprised by the Twilight Zone podcast audience because you've always shown yourself to be very intelligent and able to conduct yourselves in, in the proper way. So I'm not surprised by that at all. Um, I have seen a bit of ugliness out there in the, in the wider world, you know, commenting on this episode, which is unfortunate. But if anyone, for whatever reason, uh, finds themselves here, and disagrees with the, the point of view of anyone here, just remember that this was an open floor, and the only rule is that people conduct themselves in a proper way and aren't insulting to anyone. So if there was anything you disagreed with, then the floor was always open, and you could have had your say as well in the proper way. 
so I won't entertain any comments that aren't made in the spirit of this show. Now the next episode to drop is called The Traveller and that is debuting on the 18th of April. So likewise, if you want to comment on that one, then do please get in touch by the 21st of April, which is the Sunday. So any clips or emails that come in, please have them in by the 21st of April, just by the end of the day, whatever your time of day is, and then I can get to putting that together on the Monday. And to do that, please email me. Now, I have specified I do prefer clips because I think the effect of the clips is great, you know, just having them all together and listening to people's different voices. But if you can't do that, then emails are welcome. The only thing is, if the show is running long, then I might have to chop the emails down or not include some emails. Um, But I will play the clips in their entirety. But, you know, don't let that stop you. If that's the way you want to express your views, then by all means, send them in. And please send those clips and emails to TZ2019. That's TZ2019 at thetwilightzonepodcast.com. And if you could try and use that email address instead of my normal email address, that would be appreciated because I'm just getting all kinds of emails at the moment because the Twilight Zone is so hot. And I really don't want to miss... Um, your thoughts on these episodes and miss having them in the show because they just get lost in the in the kind of ton of emails that I'm getting about the Twilight Zone in my regular email box. So please try and use the TZ2019 box and that means that I'm less likely to miss anything, so thank you. Now just before we go, I normally thank people on Patreon who have become Patreon subscribers and iTunes reviewers. And I've fallen a little bit behind with it just through getting all the new show ready. So I just wanted to catch up with that so at least we're up to date. And if anyone is missed, then do let me know. But something I do over there on Patreon where I have a show that looks at the 80s Twilight Zone. I have a show that looks at Rod Sailing's other work. Also a show that covers the Missing Twilight Zone podcast episodes from when I briefly left the Twilight Zone podcast in 2014. So what I tend to do is if someone becomes a subscriber over on Patreon, then they sponsor an episode of the Twilight Zone podcast. And essentially that's the episode that they're keeping on the air. So I want to thank new patrons, Bob Wooten. Your episode is the After Hours, a real classic there. So I hope you like it. Then we have Brian Turner. Now, Brian, your episode is the interview with the executive producers of the new Twilight Zone. So I thank you for sponsoring that. And then we have Brent Griffiths. Brent, your episode is The Little People. Bit of a funny one, but hopefully you enjoy it and thanks for sponsoring it. And then on to iTunes reviews. Now, there's quite a few of them and there is a bit of a story behind this because someone wrote a ridiculous review on US iTunes complaining that I had turned the show over to the new Twilight Zone without finishing the old Twilight Zone. Okay. Um, I tend to not rise to negativity these days because it's going to happen, you know what I mean? You put something out there, people are going to get people are going to get negative about it because unfortunately that's the world we live in. But this person complained that I'd turned the Twilight Zone podcast over to the new Twilight Zone without finishing the old Twilight Zone. So, I mean, the thing is, I'm going back to the old Twilight Zone anyway once I've done the new Twilight Zone, but I couldn't have a new 
Twilight Zone series come out and wait until I'd finished the old ones before I even looked at it. That's just ridiculous. Um, but also, they said that I hadn't put enough effort in to complete the old Twilight Zone episodes. And I just think, you know, if you're listening to this, how dare you? How dare you? The amount of time I put into this show, you don't even know. I'm sorry that the free podcast that you've never paid for or contributed to in any way doesn't meet your entitled expectations. And, you know, that they're the only words I have for you, to be honest. Um, thankfully, the true fans of the show, the true friends of the show, counteracted that with, with some nice reviews. And I want to thank them for doing it. It's Steve Noble over in the UK. Thank you, man. And John Mel. Uh, and then UNCA31. I thank you all for doing that. I really appreciate it. And then over in the US, a whole slew of people either updated their old reviews or, or done a new review. And we have Fu Mike Chu. Thank you. And then Random85417. That is random. Thank you. Uh, Dustin the Comedian. Thanks very much, Dustin. Phenomenal TLD. I appreciate the review. Thank you. And then Kay Sullivan 245 thank you, Kay. And then Obsessive Viewer Podcast, thanks very much for your kind review. And then My Name is Jeffro1, appreciate it, Jeffro. And then DJ Evil Dave, a good friend in life and podcast, and thank you, Dave. And then RW York PA82, appreciate you putting your review on there. And then John Arthur Beeman as well with a very kind review and then also Beeman53186 and Fisher you two have, have put your reviews on there and I thank you for doing it I really do that's very kind okay so that's enough from me and that's enough from us the next episode is looking at the traveler and then after that it'll be your turn to comment on the traveler as well so goodbye for now <laughs>